This is Gil Manser welcoming you to our annual word-by-word gift book suggestion show from North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM. Our guests this afternoon are Cheryl Cutler and Michelle Bella, the knowledge, knowledgeable frontlist buyers for the Copperfields bookstores. Our conversation will be about the personally selected novels and nonfiction books for adults and picture books and stories for children that would be perfect for someone special on your gift list. This is an interactive show of sorts, and I'm hoping you have some Thanksgiving leftovers ready to heat up for dinner, so you can sit back and spend the next hour with us with your notebook handy, either paper or digital, as you make a list and check it twice for gift books this year. To aid the process, I will read the complete list of book suggestions at the close of today's Word by Word show. Cheryl Cotler and Michelle Bella feel like old friends by now, and I want to welcome both of you back to Word by Word. Hi, Gil. Hi. Hi. I know you receive an avalanche of books to consider stocking in the Copperfield stores for the holiday season, so how did you pick the special favorites you will share with us today? Oh, my. Um, I read a lot of them, but actually before I can read a galley, which is a pre-publication copy, I read uh, excerpts and recommendations from the publishing house. And just the sales reps will be very enthusiastic about a book. And then in my, for me specifically as well, I hear from editors who are very excited about what they're going to publish months ahead who will contact me. So mm-hmm. it's, it's very interactive. And one of those books that you really fell in love with and you shared with everybody who was at the uh, Sonoma County Book Fair was The Circle by Dave Eggers. Well, this is an interesting book. I um, I fell in love with it because it sort of horrified me in a good way. Um, I It is about a company called The Circle, and it's an, a, a, an information technology company, and where the young people, there's 10,000 people on the campus, and when the young people go to work there, they become more and more enthralled with the new technology that's constantly being invented to, quote-unquote, help uh, humanity, help the world. What's fascinating about this book is not only is it incredibly true to life as to what's actually going on today, but the real point of it is how it affects the behavior of the people who buy and use the technology and how it is, in fact, therefore affecting culture. In other words, our behaviors. Yes. Right. Fascinating book. I did read it after you suggested it, and I I can put it high on my list as well. So, Bella, you're primarily buying books for young people and – and also you're doing the cookbooks? Yes. So how do you do your process of selection? Well, it, it's varied. When we look at kid books, a lot of them are – we do get to read them, especially the picture books. We get to look at those. So it doesn't really matter whether the well, book beforehand – Well, they have beforehand. 15 words in them. It's hard. Right. So it's, it's easy and looking at all the pretty pictures. So we kind of go on the merits of that particular book. And we also try to bring in the local authors and illustrators mm-hmm. and Bay Area people as much as possible – um, for cookbooks, you don't necessarily know what's inside until the book is published all the time. So you look at what they've done in the past. When you get the book in your hands, you really know what what you've got. Well, we've got a couple of local people as cookbooks uh, that you've got on your list I see here. One is called Cowgirl Creamery Cooks by yes. Sue Connolly and Peggy Smith, who are cheesemakers, right? They're cheesemakers. They're in Marin County down in Point Reyes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that they also have a Petaluma con- connection. But it's it's perfect Northern California foodie 
cookbook. It, it's got lots of writing about their process and how they started and what brought them together and their, their ingredients. And it's got excellent photos and it's got great recipes too. It really yeah. has everything you want from a, a cookbook, especially if you like cheese. Especially if you like cheese. Who doesn't right. like cheese? Yes. Well, yeah. some people don't, but yeah, well. it wasn't written for them, was it? <laughs> That's no? right. There's so many other types of books. Now, apparently we can also learn how we should have cooked the turkey for Thanksgiving in John Ash's Culinary Birds, The Ultimate Poultry Cookbook, who he wrote with James Frioli and Jessica Nicosia Nadler and has an intro from who is it? The intro is by, by Mike Leventini, the president of the Petaluma Poultry Organization. Good combination there. Yeah. And poultry, of course, is not just turkey. And it's no, 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 no. I understand. It isn't that. just that yeah. well, our one day, even though everybody probably ate turkey yeah, a few days ago, it's so much of our diet is made up of chicken. Mm -hmm. And he this book also talks about backyard chickens and a lot of other. It's, a, it's an expansive book. There's much going on. It's got soup recipes and main course. All kinds of stuff, egg recipes. So Does it have exotic birds like peacocks as well or not? I know it has quails yeah. and pheasants and lots of different types of birds, yes. Game birds. Yeah. Right. Okay. So you also have some picture books that you really like. The children's picture books? Sure. Or that you want to talk about the well, adult picture no, books? Well, let's – no, okay. I call those – is that a coffee table book, an adult picture book, or is that different? Tell me. The art books, you know, the coffee okay. table books, gift books, we can – Talk about since we're talking about cookbooks, Art and Place is an incredible coffee table book. You'd call it because it's an oversized book. It's over 350 pages. It has got site-specific art from North California, Northern California, not Northern California, North America and South America, which is an unusual combination to just have this part of the world in that kind of slice. And it's done in a geographic manner, and it's got from petroglyphs all the way to current artists. And it's got a place in um, the Oliver Ranch in Geyserville. Several pages on that, which if you've never been there, mm -hmm. it's just amazing. It is an amazing place. Yeah. yeah. So this is an incredible book. And, and who was the, who's the writer or, or well, photographer? Well, it's really the editors. Okay. It's so many different people that it's What do they have Fiden on the front books. cover? Fiden. Just Fiden. Yeah. P-H-A-I-D-O-N. Art and Place, Site-Specific Art of the Americas. Okay. And then the other book from the same kind of category I was going to talk about is The Com Compendium of Collective Nouns. It's by Whoop Studios, which turns out to be mostly a family and a couple of other people. <laughs> and these are not ones that they made up, but the – a um, what's one? A bevy of ladies, a loveliness of ladybirds, a worm of robins, a crash of rhinoceros. These are collective nouns from all over – creation all over lots of different literary sources and it's heavily heavily illustrated mm -hmm. so you've got a fairly it's a really interesting piece of work altogether so I, I highly what is that first one there a worm of robin a worm of robins is that really what you call a group of robins not necessarily there oh. could be you know it could be a flock of robins right for what we I know normally it, use yeah i know it's a murder of crows for some stranger it is well it's part of this way of naming collective nouns and playing with words and the change of how people talk about things and they didn't make them up for this mm -hmm. but they did go for very odd combinations so it's not that you're going to start using them necessarily. but So is this appropriate for young people as well as uh, adults? 
Yes, there's nothing in it that would be inappropriate. Well, I meant I think. it's more the pictures that I was checking and looking at and seeing because they they look almost um, Asian in influence. I think they are silk screens. They look like silk screens yeah. to me. Um, right. I think. Yeah, I think it's done for adults, but kids would like it too. That's interesting. Yes. If you like words right. and pictures. Right. Okay. It's a beautiful book too. Beautiful yeah. book. Shall we go to something else local since we seem to be talking about local things? You have a uh, biography that you picked out, Cheryl, about Jack London. It's called um, An American Life. And he, for those of our listeners who don't know, other than being you know an author – of note, and if you've been to the Jack London Museum and grounds, and you know State Park, over in Sonoma, uh, where is that actually? Glen Ellen. Um, he did a lot of different things. He was an agricultural futurist. He traveled around the world on the snark. Uh, he was a uh, socialist, at least, if we don't give him even stronger words than that. And these are all, I assume, covered in this book. Yes, it's actually quite a fascinating biography. I think it would be a book that would be valuable and interesting and informative for absolutely anybody. But there is that West Coast connection to Jack London. Mm -hmm. He's really well thought of or, or our favorite, one of our favorite sons out here in this area. It mentions in the book that he was an oyster pirate, a hobo, a sailor, and a prospector by turns. Mm -hmm. The other thing that's rather interesting is that at one point he was the highest paid writer in America, and yet that produced a kind of a difficult situation where he had to write constantly in order to keep the money flowing. That kind of conundrum shows up in other ways in his life where he was uh, very absolutely in love with nature and his animals, his, his, his animals that he was close to, and yet he was also a very savage writer about wilderness and nature. He... He really had a very complex personality that this book wonderfully details. And he was much more of a prolific writer than people realized. Mostly he's famous for Call of the Wild, White Fang. There is a absolute breadth of knowledge and, and literary um, legacy from Jack London that you will learn in this biography. One of the things I always thought fascinating because we've had um – uh, Jonah Raskin come in. He did a uh, Jack London biography, and he was talking about his work ethic, which was to get up at dawn, work for all morning, and then as a, before lunch, you'd go on a horseback ride, and then you'd come back and you know yeah. and do the rest of the day and do your other activities. But you right. did at least four hour block, maybe six hour block in the morning, so yeah. that you, because yeah. he was under a tremendous amount of deadline pressure. He was right. writing for Boys Life. He was yes. writing for in international journals. He yes. was a uh, uh, person who wrote for newspapers around the world and, yeah. you know, constantly was ways of making money. Yes. Yeah. And, of course, Charmian's no slouch herself in, in the uh, looking at the world in a different way aspect. Right. His right. wife. Yeah. It sounds like fun. Yeah. So um, are there any other things we should make sure we mention? I know you had under history, you had a new Lawrence of Arabia by Scott Anderson. Actually, that's a in Arabia. Sorry, yes. Lawrence in Arabia. I'm glad you said that. Uh, it's an easy mistake to make. You know when um, Scott? I hope I have the author right. Um, Anderson. Scott Anderson, who I had a chance to meet, was talking about. He submitted the idea for this book to his editor, and there was a kind of a general thing. Well, there's been a lot of stuff written about T. E. Lawrence. And he said, well, really, let me loose, and I want to show you what I'm working on. And what he did was he took four different people that 
T.E. Lawrence being one of them, that were all in the Middle East all at the exact same time and tracked what each of them, how they contributed to basically the fall of the Ottoman Empire. (laughs) And in the case of T.E. Lawrence, his attempts to have that not happen. So the story of that time is so riveting that it, it you will it doesn't matter how much you've read on T.E. Lawrence you want to read this book it's has an incredible narrative flow but it's actually an incredibly interesting story and what's chilling and and gripping is how what happened during those years in the early 1900s um, has not, the reverberations of that time play out today oh absolutely yeah, it yeah. just completely it's, changed the landscape right because these Borders that were drawn by people in you know European capitals over yes, the years yes. had nothing to do with the realities of the landscape or the tribal lands of the people who were living there. Right. You'll find that one of the characters worked for the British government because they wanted political power in the region. One of the characters secretly worked for Standard Oil. Mm-hmm. And came across as actually just a benevolent sort of traveler and it turned out he was a spy because they wanted the oil fields. <laughs> and there's another character that was German. That So the Germans were positioning themselves to take over power. It's fascinating. Mm. So something to, to pick up and read in one sitting or bits you know, and bits? And... I found – I read it in several sittings because honestly this book – is so I love when history is written in sort of a narrative fashion with a sense of suspense, even though history is available to us and we do know what happened. When a historian can write a book where you follow it along breathless as to what what's next, they've really done a good job. Good. Sounds like fun. Do you have some um, nonfiction that you'd recommend for young people, Bella? Well... There's, there is a lot of nonfiction that's being published right now that we're starting to carry more and more of it. And there's a certain number of biographies. And a lot of this is kind of required by school sometimes. Mm-hmm. I didn't bring anything with me, I don't think, that's nonfiction, though. So okay. think about that. But if they go to copperfieldsbooks.com, they're going to find a variety of choices of lists right at the top of the page. It's it's much easier to use than it used to be, mm-hmm. where everything is kind of, you know, user-friendly, shall we say. Mm-hmm. And you just pull down the menu, and it shows you different age groups and different categories within that. And right. There are a lot of recommendations A lot of good online. things in yeah. there. Yes. Yeah, good. So let's go back to some uh, novels. You want to talk about uh, – we talked about The Circle. What other things – I assume you're going to talk about Alice McDermott and who else? Oh, the Alice McDermott is really wonderful. Someone is the title. Someone, yes. You know, I just love her. She's She is one of our treasures as a writer. This particular novel takes place in New York – in Brooklyn in the 1940s and it focuses on one family in an Irish enclave, enclave in that community and the young woman – Oh, gosh, right now her name escapes. Marie, the young woman Marie, refuses to become the proper young Irish lady and more or less strikes out on her own. But she's deeply connected to her community. Her brother is very meaningful to her. She ends up bringing, taking him in after World War II. The way that she meets her husband, the way that she cares for her mother and father, the way that she interacts with her neighbors. It's a beautifully told tale, very rich, very... Moving and it's kind of one of those quiet novels that when you're finished, you just go, ah. And you want there to be more. 
Yeah. 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 She writes like that. You just you just fall in love with everybody in it. So we have novels, uh, what we call juvenile novels, too. And one of the things I wanted you to talk about was graphic novel Battling Boy by Paul Pope. Yes, Paul Pope has written uh, many graphic novels and drawn many graphic novels for adults. So this is the first one he's done for children. Oh, really? And it's the beginning of a new series. And it's so uh, there's a certain amount of excitement for because of who he is, but I think kids will really like it just for what the book is. And this is a story of a demigod that's been sent down to save the world. Yes, but he's but he's young. He's twelve. He's really skinny, uh-huh. and uh, he doesn't look like he would be remarkably effective. One of the things I really like about this is he his power is in his t-shirts. So he wears the different <laughs> t-shirts, and he beca- has the power of the Tyrannosaurus or whatever. It, wow! It, so there's a lot of humor, and of course, it's very dark because graphic superhero graphic novels kind of are dark and that way but there's there's a lot of interesting graphic novels coming out right now so i recommend that people open them up and look at them i think that some of our listeners don't even know really what a graphic novel is they may be familiar with the old style comic books you know which were four colors Right, and a lot of these are coming out in paperback originals. So, mm-hmm. like this, I think is a paperback original. I, I hope um, well, you my, this one might be hardcover, but it, there are, are a bunch of them. Right, you mentioned that they're dark generally. Well, there's conflict. Usually, quite a bit of conflict with a graphic illustration of the conflict. Right. Yes. There are usually there lots are of like red on the page. Comic yeah. books. I mean, they are very. They are comic books. I don't know that there is a huge difference. So they can be very long and have a very complex story. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another one that's coming out or that just came out by Gene Yang. Mm-hmm. He wrote Chinese Born American, uh, which was another graphic novel a few years ago. And this one is about – one's about saints and one's about boxers and the Boxer Rebellion in China. Oh, yeah. It's really interesting graphic historical. He did a lot of research and the guy seems brilliantly intelligent. I mean very, very interesting. So if any – it's like for older kids. I and think. the title of that? Um, Boxers and Saints is, the, is a and Saints. boxed set, yeah. And who are the saints in this? This actually, the characters are the same people. It's um, Saint Joan of Arc is huh. actually one of the characters. It's really interesting at the yeah. Boxer Rebellion. I, I, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's complicated. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. time shifting here. Okay, so what we. Um, shall we go back to other? You pick a book. What do oh, you want to talk all about? All right. Cheryl? Well. Um, Actually, I, all the novels that I've thought about talking about are ones I love. I'm just crazy about these books. But there is one. It, I love to tell people when there is a book out that is just funny and charming and just a kind of light and delightful it, because sometimes so much of novels reflect present-day life and they can be – Difficult, even though they're very well done. So Rosie Project is very unusual in that. So there's, it's the story of Don. He's not quite turned 40. He's a genetic researcher. Mm-hmm. And he's just, and, he, and it comes out, the reader understands this. Don doesn't understand it so much about himself. But the reader gets right away that he's high-end Asperger's. So he has a good buddy. And he tells his buddy that he's going to create a report in order to find a wife. And he creates this online report that he's going to interview women to be uh, – who will make his current wife. Well, you see the setup. He ends up meeting this woman, Rosie, who's 
thoroughly inappropriate in the way that she's kind of seemingly scatterbrained. But he's helping her on another project. And it is – the book is so hilarious the way he meets women and interviews them and accepts them or rejects them based on whether or not they um, sip twice from their glass or whether they come to meet him unable to sit still long enough or all of these really crazy things. And it gets – progressively funnier and funnier as Don is trying to find a wife while he's also engaging very much with Rosie who completely throws him for a loop. It's very smart. It it you know guys read it as well as women. It's not just a it's not a chick book at all because I've had several guys read it that think it's just as funny as I thought. I was falling off the couch when I was reading it late at night. Good. And his written by Graham Simpson, is it? Simpson, yeah. Right. He's Australian. Okay. Yeah. Those those people from down under have a different perspective, don't oh. they? It's upside down. Yes. So uh we any novel other novels on your list you wanna make sure we talk about? There's a couple of them that I noted that there's some similarities here. In the huh. sense that nostalgia, Dennis McFarland and Dennis McFarland, by the way, is as far as I'm concerned, another one of those really incredible writers that's relatively unsung. But he has – this is something like his fifth or sixth or seventh book and he has never written a bad book. So I recommend you discover this wonderful man. Nostalgia is set during the Civil War and it's very touching and moving and very poetic. And the, the young man, when he wakes up in the hospital and he's kind of – He's very injured, and he can't quite un- tell what's happened to himself. And he looks at there's a gentleman who's sort of leaning over him, helping, who you could say is like a um, candy striper of the era, mm-hmm. and who's not only helping him with his physical wounds, but also with his emotional wounds. And it turns out this gentleman is Walt Whitman, mm. and the story goes on from there. Is that true? Did very, Walt Whitman visit uh, hospitals? Yes, yes. And uh, so it's it's really a beautifully told tale. And then Cartographer of No Man's Land is mm-hmm. World War One, and our character, who I think his name is Alistair, who goes off to he, – he's Canadian. This is set in Nova Scotia. And he goes off to – he joins the British contingent in um, Flanders and Belgium, I believe, because his wife – his his wife's brother has gone to war and gotten lost and he tells his wife, well, he'll go find the brother. And he's an artist, so he signs up for the war because he's told he's going to be a cartographer. And he says to his wife, well, nothing bad will happen to me. I'll just be drawing maps. <laughs> and no sooner does he get over there than he's right on the front lines. It's painful and gorgeously written about what's going on in World War One, And at the same time, our artist – I hope I have his name right, Alistair – is – not only an incredible artist, and so every time he's in the fields, he's drawing birds and trees and so forth, but also he sails on the Great Lakes for a living. This is what his family did. They do cargo boats on the Great Lakes. So there are boats that travel not that far offshore, and his young son left at home is determined to become just as great a sailor as his dad, and then his the young son's grandfather, the man in war's father, is so against the war, but um, decides, yes, he will also teach his grandson more about how to work the boat on the water. So you go back and forth between Nova Scotia and Belgium in this absolutely gorgeous, riveting tale of people with great heart and beautiful insight into the land, whether it's a land under war or a land that is having to do with commerce 
on the Great Lakes. Which was a very – is still a very busy place. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Cartographer of No Man's Land by oh, P.J. Duffy. I want to tell you Duffy. one – Okay. Sorry. P.J. Duffy, yep. Well, we love to mention that this is a debut novel and it's as gorgeous as any book – Come that come that you will run into, but we love to tell people that the woman that wrote it is over sixty, and so that's a special treat because it just it encourages everyone to follow your dreams. Right. Yes. Do you handle debut novels, or or should I say, do your publishers present them to you in a different way? Yes and no. As it happens, I was on a national jury. This a year ago, helping pick the best debut novels of August through December 2013 that would get a special blurb from us, eight people on the jury, into all the independent bookstores across the country. And hmm. we were working with the ABA, the American Booksellers Association, to present what we called Indies Introduce. So we jurists – this book was one of them. Mm-hmm. picked the best of many, many submissions, and then we wrote things that went into the indies, independent bookstores, which they then wrote to their customers as to we're introducing this book to you. All right. Well, that sounds good. So tell me what your your fellow judges were looking for as well as you. Well, all of us were looking for – uh, of the submissions, books that were basically well written. Mm-hmm. That's that's the bottom line. And they, when we ended up with the list of twelve, they really ranged from one extreme to another. Some had terrific tragedy and difficulty for the characters. Uh, Rosie Project was one of them. That mm-hmm. was the light, kind of lively one. Cartographer of No Man's Land because it's not only character driven but also um, landscape driven. Really, as wide a range, if there had been a graphic novel submission, we would have looked at it. We looked at everything that publishers were invited, no holes bared, to send us debut within the the time frame. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we agreed to look at as many submissions as we got. It got overwhelming, but that's what happens. So how did you, you know, chop through the big pile? The... um, chair of our board used randomly put our names in a list and then assigned every each of us in groups to read 50 pages of four or five books each and rate them and tell the rest the other groups i was in a group of three mm-hmm. to tell the others whether they should next read the 50 pages and then when we had more than two people who loved the first 50 pages then we had to have four people read 100 pages and it goes like that very good okay well we're going to have to take a station break right here so you are listening to Word by Word from KRCB-FM, where this afternoon's conversations is about gift books for the holidays with Copperfield's Bookstore's knowledgeable front list buyers, Cheryl Kotler and Michelle Bella. We already heard some wonderful suggestions, but wait, there's more. Okay, shall we go to children's? Okay. Where do you want to go next, Michelle? Um, should I call you Bella or Michelle? You know, at work I'm Bella, and at home I'm Michelle. It's confusing for people who. What are don't you know. in the studio? You can call me either one. I don't. I really Probably don't. Probably for the public, should you? Be for the public, Michelle? it's Michelle because Michelle. that way they don't okay. think that I'm like Cher. You know. <laughs> I can think you're like yeah, Cher. That's all right. I'm She's not very really, much I'm, like Cher. You can tell. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's. Yeah. Bear's Song, Benjamin Chowd. We can talk about um, picture books now or at sure. the end. Let's, well, you one. just handed I mean, these sometimes... to me, so let's do that. I, was, I see a cover where a 
mama bear, I guess, is holding is a baby. Bear? Is it a papa, papa bear, bear holding a baby bear with a? Is this honey? Yeah, honey. Is, that, that's how they end up with. Uh, okay. Open it up. Open it up. See the I inside will. because these books are they all. Their common denominator is pretty incredible. Well, the liners are covered with bees and hives. So let's see. This is this is by a Chronicle Books, who does wonderful. They they do, do. they do some nice. Aha! And there's the baby bear skipping across the rocks. That's going through a winter. Baby uh, bear's running away. He, oh, is he? Well, really? he's not running away. He's just excited and he's you know, chasing after honey. Hibernating. Yeah. He's following a bee, I think. He's following a bee, and and he goes through the forest, which is pine, and he's up in the high country, and now he's down in the deciduous with all the trees gone. And Papa dashes through I, I the trees after him, and they end up in the city. Big city. Some big city that looks vaguely like Madeline's city. Do you remember yeah, the It does. Book? It looks like yes. Paris. It looks it like does. Paris. Yes. Yeah. Where the – except everyone's listening on cell phones in this oh, city. Well. So it's not old Paris. And there mm-hmm. is the – is that the opera house? Yes. Wow. So. This is fun. And then we go inside. And we have, oh, my gosh, we're going to a theater where they're putting on a, a show, and the bear kind of interrupts everything. Well, I would, you know, right. I won't tell more. because. <laughs> so I can see why you immediately fell for that one. Yes, they're all that way. They're all that way. Yeah. Are, are we on? We are. Oh, okay. Um, in Bear Song, <laughs> though, he ends up finding, of course, his baby bear, and they end up together. And the adventure is one that they share, with, like all good adventures. Right. right. Um, so I highly recommend that one. And then there's Dream Animals. Dream, Dream Animals. Animals is – Emily Winfred Martin. It's a beautiful book, and it's much, very much like a lullaby. You would definitely want to be doing this one at night. And – I have to say, this this book manages to work in foxes, tigers, luna moths, narwhals in the same book. It's hard to do, and and she's done it here. Well, this is interesting. The page I opened shows the night sky with smoke building up from a chimney. Only this is not a night sky of stars that I know because it's whales and deer and owls and butterflies and squirrels in the sky. Yeah, it's very fanciful. The animals are – they go into their dreams from their, their stuffies are. that they've and got. kittens and elephants. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> these these people sitting around his table look like they may be from other children's well, books. Possibly. Inspired. Possibly. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because we definitely have some – we definitely have Humpty Dumpty and, and, and a Tin Man, would you say? Or and, a, and, TikTok. Robots. TikTok like from Oz. Do you guy? remember that one? Could be TikTok. Where all the wild things are. That's what he looked like to me. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, one of the – Three bears. Yeah. Yeah. That is beautiful. It is. I mean, you'd open it up. You'd know right away if it was the kind of book you wanted to give to your your people. Well, I could see. Your kids. Especially if they're the right age where you, they love to see the books and yeah. share the books. Do you, when you do a presentation at the store, and it's a it's an illustrated book like this, do you read it from the book or do you show it on a big screen or – I mean, if an author comes yes. and, or an illustrator, right. it, they all do it a little bit differently, uh, but usually they just hold, you know, the, book. hold the book up. Yeah, it like depends on library. how big of a production yeah. it is. Yeah. If it's small enough to just have one little thing, or they have PowerPoint presentations now with people mm-hmm. bring you know mm-hmm. massive audio visual things with with them sometimes. Um, but the third book I wanted to show you was the Jerry Pinkney book for this year. And the Caldecott Medalist. I remember his last book. Yes. So this is a comp- 
companion book to that, right? It's very in a similar vein. That one was the lion and the mouse, and right. this one is the tortoise and the hare. And there really are. It's mostly wordless. It's all about the pictures, and it you've learned that it's not speed. That it's slow and easy wins the race. I think is well. That's what we were taught many years ago. That's and it's right. still true. And you can find out all about it here. And they're going through a landscape that looks very deserty with cactus of different types. And so this is the tortoise and a hare. And they would both right. live in the, the wilds like that. Right. It looks like a Except they're not your ordinary everyday tortoise and the hare because they have accessories. The tortoise is wearing a blue hat and a red and white scarf. And, oh, the, yeah. and the hare has and on they're a racing. Stri- And they're racing the striped <laughs> coat. And all of the other animals who are watching are... Uh, have you know hats and scarves and such? Wow! Well, we Get don't set. Go outside and be cold. Go <laughs> and there they go. Zoom fast. What's going to slow the bunny down though? Something. Well, easily distracted. I'm not going to give that Come away. On, it's your no, <laughs> that that would be that would be a reveal, and I don't want to do that. You know? <laughs> so it was almost impossible to winnow the list of good picture books down to just three. There are so many, and there's books for you know boys who only want to look at trucks and there's there's books for kids who really are into science and there's there's just a huge variety of books and they're mostly beautiful so i highly recommend that people come touch them and hold them sit on the floor yes. or the one of those little stools one of the little tiny stools right, yeah, right right and do this before the holiday gift giving so that it's in wrapped up and ready this to go on christmas this is a great christmas. time of year to yeah. get out down to the bookstore right it's true mm-hmm. yeah it smells yeah. good too yeah. yeah. When you do, um, it's obviously the season now, you know, the gift books and, and trees and, you know, pine smells and cinnamon and all that stuff in the store. But do you have someone who figures out what the the look of the place will be from season to season? Yes. Yes. Vicki D. Arman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, marketing and yeah, uh, events well. right. uh, director. Has in fact this year we have these banners that say it's family and friends, family right? and friends, and that's every year she comes up with a new campaign, mm-hmm. and they're something like about twelve inches high, but they run for twenty feet up high on the walls around the stores, and I think maybe around some tables. I, I love seeing it go down the stairs, and it says family and friends. I think of family and friends every time I see it. Yeah, you know? it yeah. does make me feel very holidayish. All the stores are really different. Though. Yes, they yeah. really have their own. Their physical layouts are so dramatically yes. different. Right, right. With you've got the downstairs in Petaluma, yes. and you've got the the yeah. creaky stairs that we no one goes up to because that's offices above in Sebastopol. And right, yeah. Well, we have, and also along with those banners, our matching bookmarks mm-hmm. and the lanyards that the staff wear match the holiday theme. And I mean, if if we could put antlers and candles in people's hair, we would do that too. No, that's too dangerous. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're actually doing a giveaway too. Where you grow your heart three times with the, the Grinch books, and there's a, a project going on which I did not bring the details of right right here, but I'm sure it's up on the website. So there are, uh, you know, community giveaway type things going on. Good. Right now. Do you have your uh, handouts, your kind of uh, little broadsides with the list of suggested books? We do. Um, I meant to bring you a set, but I will get them to you. And so for the adult books, I there's a list of fiction. There's 16 titles. Mm-hmm. For biography, there's 16 titles. And for history and political current events, there's 16 titles. And... 
I really looked at hundreds of books to pick what I thought was not only very well-written and interesting books, but a range of taste Mm -hmm. so that somebody might want something that's political and edgy and might make them want to have – fuel them for the arguments they're going to have uh, with their family Christmas Day evening when there's nothing else to do but talk about After politics. the eggnog, right? right? Right. And then others are simply for the individual who wishes – I call them books for the autodidact where you just want to go in a corner and read about <laughs> some fabulous thing. That's right. And hopefully get another friend to talk about it later on. So wonderful range. Wonderful range. So what's the next book you want to share with us? How about Chaser? That's a book oh, for that's... those who like this sort of thing. Yes. About, uh, you read the subtitle and they'll know what I'm talking about. Yes. This is actually a book. We, I, I love to have what I call some feel-good books on the list too <laughs> just because I personally like to break away and read these kinds of things occasionally. And this is a – this is nonfiction. This is a book about a border collie named Chaser whose vocabulary is now up to 1,000 words. This dog can understand 1,000 words. Well, He, he can't, do you, doesn't repeat the words. How, no, okay. but how do you – he understands them. How do you prove this? So they put objects in a different room, and it's all being videotaped. And then the handler looks at the dog and says, I want you to go get the green ball that's on the table um, in the corner, the mm-hmm. furthest green mm-hmm. ball from the door – now I'm being a little – using a few more words than no, no, the no. dog understands and says go. And the dog goes into a different room and is able to do exactly what this gentleman asks him to do. And they keep testing it in such a fashion that you can – that you – it's not fake. They can use other people speaking to the dog so that it's not just the handler's voice. It's fascinating and it really comes out of an effort to understand animal intelligence well, you know where that comes from. I don't know if you know this, and maybe it's in the book, but we used to do, when I was at uh, Indiana University, I was a graduate student there in the Institute for Child Study, and one of the things we did was using young children, twos and threes, to see what exact time they were able to take more than three descriptors in a row, the green you know, green ball in the box, and see if they could identify, you know, there'd be a box of different colored right. balls. Would they always, would they be able to, differentiate it out. And there is a specific time. And the fact that a dog can do this is amazing. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So, Under One Roof. The thing that um, this one segues from Chaser. This this is actually, let me read the subtitle because I love this. Yes. Lessons I Learned from a Tough Old Woman in a Little Old House. And this is Barry Martin and Philip Lerman. So let me read that again. Under One Roof, Lessons I Learned from a Tough Old Woman in a Little Old House. Another feel-good book, again, nonfiction. I believe it was in 2006. Developers bought up a whole lot of land in Ballard, Washington, right outside of Seattle, to put in a shopping mall. But Edith refused to sell her family home. So Barry, the author, went over to Edith's house as they were putting up this giant project all around her on three sides and tried to see why she wouldn't sell and perhaps he could talk her into changing her mind. Well, Edith would not be deterred. And Barry says casually as he's leaving, well, if you need anything, let me know. Well, my gosh. (laughs) Edith calls him a couple days later and says, well, I need a ride to the hairdresser. And he goes, okay, okay. 
thinking, I said that. One thing leads to another, and he ends up more or less looking in on her and taking care of her and learning why it matters so much to her to stay in her home. Mm -hmm. And so he helps that. He allows that. She ages to the point to where she passes away, and he looks in on her and takes care of her, and she also teaches him how to work with his father, who's moving into Alzheimer's, and Barry's having all sorts of um, difficult, sort of annoying responses to what's happening to his father, and Edith teaches Barry kindness and generosity and the view from the elderly. This is a wonderful, wonderful story that is absolutely true and could be read by one or many people and ought to be known. Well, Bella, this reminds me of a book that I was raised with in childhood. I think it was Little House in the Big World, and you probably maybe remember. It's a, it's a house in the middle of the country, yes. yeah. and the city comes around it, and then there's a big building project. And the house is the only thing left with this, you know, high-rise you right. know, built all the way around. And finally, in the end of the book, they pick the house up and take it back to the country again. Yeah. But they, the concept that that's... You know, essentially the story, except we meet the woman inside, um, in this novel is just, I mean, it's not a novel, it's nonfiction, right? Yes, this is nonfiction. Uh, You know, just shows me the circle of how we remember things from when we were young and Mm -hmm. reading and how, it's it's interesting, I want to know what's going to happen to the people who only learn from a, you know, a screen. Right. You know, the thing for this developer who has continued to be a major project developer he really, really learned a lot about place, mm-hmm. about what it means to be attached to place. I mean, Edith just was had been in this home forever, and it right. mattered to her. Right. So it works both ways. Absolutely. So many yeah. people move yeah. so often these yeah. days. And yeah. They don't understand permanence. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Next, Bella, do you have something else you want to share with us? I think the other ones I brought were... Um, Juvenile novels. Okay, let's do that. There are a few, and I realize I have a, a lot of fantasy on my list, as I like fantasy. So if you go on the website, <laughs> I have you'll see the that whole in, list. In yeah. lists in the past, yes. Oh, it's, a, it's such a fertile field for, for ideas in kid books. Uh-huh. And so this the first one for the youngest readers is Flora and Ulysses by Kate DiCamillo, which is it's an illustrated book. So it has a lot of pictures that are kind of cartoony. Um, but it's a very funny story of Ulysses the squirrel who is sucked up in this really powerful vacuum cleaner. And so they're very worried about it and they get him out and he becomes a superhero. Is this one of the ones with a plastic uh, see-through part? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. It's kind of a made-up vacuum. Okay. But anyway, it goes outside. Can't you see the squirrel? <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, the squirrel – Becomes a super squirrel and and learns, well, of course. learns that yeah. the world is beautiful and can't understand how he never realized before how wonderful humans were when he used to think they were kind of dangerous. Anyway, it's a very great story, really well written, very funny, kind of light. I I, I love it. Um, the, also, the other book that I wanted to talk about is Counting by Sevens mm-hmm. by Holly Sloan. This is not a fantasy. This is a a more. It's a fiction. It's a tougher story. It's a tougher story because it's a a girl who's young. I think she's in middle school and she loses her parents. In the very first two pages of the book, you realize this is an unusual kid and she's adopted by these people and they get in a car accident and die. And then it's how she survives and and it's 
so well written and so interesting and it talks to the notion of finding your family through community who the people you are with and how your friends can make all the difference in your life you know so it's a touching story it's really good um then i was trying to pick something for older kids too right now my favorite teen book is steelheart which is another superhero book this one it's a future world but it not, hasn't been in a vacuum cleaner though, no right? no no <laughs> a totally totally different the um, there's a f- big flash of light in the sky, and suddenly. Well, wait a minute. A bun- no, this if is- you're the squirrel, and your point perspective is the world as you know it, and all of a sudden you're yeah. rolling around inside a vacuum, isn't that like a flash of light it, in the it sky? It could be, but yeah. that seems a little more dangerous. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you should definitely read the. Squirrel I'm going to have book. to read that squirrel book. Yeah. <laughs> um, in Steelheart, a bunch of people have been. You get the impression they've been mutated into su- having superhero qualities, and some of them are much more effective than others, and they call they're called epics, but they're bad. They're not good. You mean humans thought, oh, these people will be here to protect us like Superman, but they're they're not. They're, they they want to take over. Evil? They're well, yes, they are evil. So of course there are the dark side. the underground of people who are trying to overthrow the epics and our sixteen year old hero and it's it's an adventure. Quite. So is the sixteen year old hero one of these uh, semi mutants? No, no, no. His father was killed though by ah, an epic. Okay, and he wants revenge, and so he eventually meets up with the people who are organized in an organized way, trying to cause trouble and disrupt these these people. Well, yeah. Tell me about um, the book called One Hundred and Four Horses, a memoir of farm, family, Africa, and exile. By Mandy Redslaff, I yes, think we right. say. Yes. You know, this is a really, really interesting story. I'm particularly interested in Africa. I, I just am present day uh, mostly. And I love horses. And the book talks about right off the bat, you know that this is a rescue opera- operation, an improbable one. So Mandy and her husband are living in, at the time, Rhodesia, and it becomes Zimbabwe, Mm -hmm. and things become more and more difficult politically. Uh, In fact, what's going on in that country is really heartbreaking. So as land reform and poverty and political repression continues and and escalates, other white farmers, as Mandy and her husband are, begin to have to leave the country because their lives are at risk – But they love their horses and so Mandy and her husband say, well, we'll keep our horses and just keep moving further and further into the countryside. So other friends of theirs say, well, will you take my horses too? They've been with us forever while we fly back to England. Mm -hmm. And they end up with this fairly large herd of horses and life gets harder and harder and harder and more and more scary. There's knocks on the door late at night and people brandishing guns. So the upshot is they realize they have to leave and they work on a plan and they try and secretly scout the mountains to get out of Zimbabwe into Mozambique. First by thinking they can go over the mountain passes with their horses, but they they notice the passes are patrolled by guerrilla warfare people and it's even more dangerous. So they pack them in vans and they continually drive up to the border patrol something like eight times and are turned away over and over and over again saying you don't have all the proper permits. There's lots of bribery involved. Mm -hmm. The upshot being that one day someone lets them through and they get out of Zimbabwe just ahead 
of not only losing their friends, but these horses who the locals see no reason to, you know, allow to live. So the story is a story of a family and their friends, a community. It is a story of how they care for their animals, including the wildlife, which they do make great efforts to also try and preserve. And it's a story of political repression run amok. And one family's response to that by doing this heroic gesture to get the horses out of the country. And they do. To this day, this couple runs a sort of a, I don't want to, America's, we would call it a dude ranch. They run a resort in Mozambique on the beach where you can come and stay in these hotels and they take you on horse rides through the countryside in that particular part of Africa. Some of the horses are not are no longer with us, but it's really quite a moving story, although it's very hard in parts, very difficult. But I, I thought it was incredible. They persevere and they they persevere. make it through. Yes, and, you know, it's not easy. You can't steal horses out of a country like you maybe could put little small animals eat more easily. It was quite an operation. I'm going to look at two other biographies you've got listed here, and they're quite different in, in how people persevered. One is about Billy Crystal and one is about Charlie Parker. So which shall we do first? Well, you couldn't be more – they couldn't be more different and yet they're both absolutely worthy reads. The Billy Crystal book, you know, he's very funny. Can I say the title? Oh, please. Still Fooling Them, Where I've Been, Where I'm Going and Where the Hell Are My Keys. <laughs> okay. So there you go. There's your tip that he's funny and smart and a large part of his humor is about aging. And my goodness, don't we just want that? We really love hearing that somebody as famous as Billy Crystal can't find his car keys and, you know, drives his parks drives his car out of the driveway wrong. And he's very funny, and he also gives you insight on his career, which was not all – everything did not just land in his lap as simple as pie. Oh, he's, he's marvelous. The voice that – jumps out from the pages. You can just hear it in his Billy Crystal's voice. It's it's really charming and marvelous and worthy. Absolutely marvelous. Yes. And Kansas City Lightning, The Rise and Times of Charlie Parker, Stanley Crouch's book. Now, Stanley Crouch, some of you may know, has been writing about jazz for something like 40 years. He's he's really quite the scholar and quite the advocate of the mu- of jazz. This volume, Kansas City Lightning, is actually the first of what will be two volumes on the life of Charlie Parker. It is such a rich and informative volume. It's not just about Charlie Parker, the saxophonist, who came to prominence in um, uh, the 1930s. 1930s, yeah. It's not just about him. It's also about Kansas City and then ultimately New York City. But Kansas City at the time was where a lot of very avant-garde and unusual and um, enormously imaginative and creative jazz was born. And Charlie Parker was right at the edge of that. Unfortunately, Charlie struggled from an early age with heroin addiction, with lots of troubles. He married early and he didn't stick around. And so he just had every kind of problem in the book. And yet from age 20 on, he became, everybody would come to listen to him play because he was so innovative and original and self-taught, never had music lessons. The man was brilliant. So this book is one of those kinds of books where you can love the music, but you get the era 
and the various people, many of whom we now know, and just the whole lifestyle and the world of how this music got born. Mm. Who wants to talk about O and all the odes, Pablo Neruda? Well, the the thing here's the thing about this book. <laughs> Bella's pointing. Yes, it's um, first off, it's bilingual, so Spanish on one page, English on the other, which I think is wonderful for our counties. We be you know, there's plenty of people that might read it in Spanish as well as English. And the other thing is Pablo Neruda. You know what a poet. I opened this book, which is something like 400 pages. It's quite thick. I randomly opened it the day it arrived in my office, read one poem, and was so moved that for 15 minutes I just had to sit quietly with how it felt to read through his eyes how he, to be perfectly honest, the poem I was reading was how his wife smelled to him. Mm. But in such language that you thought, oh, my God, I wish that man had been in love with me. It was so <laughs> sensitive and gorgeous and insightful and moving. And his, his, his poetry is absolutely incredible. And this book covers a great deal of his poetry. It's worthy. It's something you'll want. You'll keep in your house forever. Absolute fabulous. It's a gift you should buy for yourself. Right. And then share with others, reading yes, it too. Read it out yes, loud. yes. Yeah. Sounds like that. Yeah. So Bella, anything else you wanna share with us before we leave? I think we talked about all the books that um we were going to. Mm -hmm. Did we talk about the vegan? Cookbook? We did not. That the cookbook with the interesting title. Let's see the name of that one is Isa Does It. Amazingly easy, widely delicious vegan recipes for every day of the week by is it Isa or Isa Chandra Moskowitz? I think it's Isa, Isa. but I don't know. Might yeah, be I don't Isa. know. But it's really fun. It's very accessible, and the the pages are funny colors. The, it's got a lot of handwriting kind of artwork in it. And it does. It looks like anybody could pick these up, and they would be interesting recipes, and they don't have a lot of weird substitutions for things that are pretending to be mm -hmm. meat. Mm -hmm. And it's just things that don't have those things in it mostly. Right. That's the ones that I looked at. I thought it it looks like it would be fun for vegans around here or just people who want to try maybe that, you know, vegan during the day thing. Mm -hmm. so right. There's a lot of cook. There's a lot of really good chocolate cookbooks and dessert cookbooks too this season. So Ooh, you should chocolate come and in and, and look at Yeah, those. and look at those. That will make you just – feel full just looking at the pages, yeah. right? Cheryl, anything you more you want to make sure to touch on? For well, me? you've cookbooks made me think about this wonderful book called The Mushroom Hunters. Ah, yes. And the thing I love about this is that who knew this? I didn't. But that these mushroom hunters, a lot of which is happening on the West Coast, are people who go out and forage. And it turns out that finding the best spots for mushrooms, especially these extremely unusual ones, is kind of a cutthroat business. Hmm. So when you find your secret sites, you don't want your, your uh, competition to know where it is, and it's there's sort of an espionage kind of quality to mushroom hunting and sneaking around and and you know trying to learn each other's secrets. And then the other part of it is is that actually these mushroom hunters are selling these mushrooms right into these very wonderful restaurants locally, and that is what we are eating is these mushrooms that you can only get that are foraged wild. 
there's a cookbook for mushrooms too. Uh-huh. It's somewhere in this this list. Um, okay. There's it's a whole big huge oversized cookbook about mushrooms, most of which are American mushrooms, even though I believe the book is French. I think. Mm-hmm. And can I find it? It's called a cook's invitation. Initiation into the gorgeous world of mushrooms. A cook's initiation into the gorgeous world of mushrooms. Yeah, okay. I think that uh, if you're if you're foraging your mushrooms, you should get a cookbook to go with your foraging. So well, I love the backstory of how sneaky and secretive it is, and then how incredible it tastes. You could be sitting at dinner one night at one of our fabulous Napa or Sonoma That's restaurants. True. And all this time you're eating a mushroom that has an enormous history to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if, if it rains. <laughs> well, some of them I think are found in just damp places, you know, under trees. They, or, they grow on the lawn. Yeah. 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 And then and there are people pushing each other out of the way to get to it first and all <laughs> kinds of crazy stuff. You've been listening to Word by Word from KRCB-FM, where today's conversation about gift books for the holidays was with Copperfield's Bookstore's knowledgeable front list buyers, Cheryl Cotler and Michelle Bell. Here's a summary of the books mentioned on today's show. Make sure you got your pen and paper already. For the novels, we talked about Someone by Alice McDermott, The Circle by Dave Eckers, Rosie Project by Graeme Simison, Nostalgia by Dennis McFarland, Cartographers of No Man's Land, P.J. Duffy. For juvenile novels, we talked about the graphic Battling Boy by Paul Pope, Boxers and Saints, uh, Flora and Ulysses, The Illuminated Adventures, Counting by Sevens, and Steelheart. For nonfiction, the books were Chaser, Unlocking the Genius of a Dog Who Knows a Thousand Words, Still Fooling Them, Where I've Been, Where I'm Going, and Where the Hell Are My Keys, the biography, autobiography by Billy Crystal, Kansas City Lightning, The Rise and Times of Charlie Parker, Jack London, An American Life, 104 Horses, A Memoir of Farm, Family, Africa, and Exile, and Under One One Roof, Lessons I Learned from a Tough Old Woman in a Little Old House. In history, we have Lawrence in Arabia by Scott Anderson and The Mushroom Hunters by Langdon Cook. The Art Place Insight Specific Art of the Americas by Faden Press and a compendium of collective nouns by Whoop Studios. For cookbooks, we have John Ash's Culinary Birds, The Ultimate Poultry Cookbook, Cow Girl Creamery Cooks, Isa Does It, Amazingly Easy, Wildly Delicious Vegan Recipes for Every Day of the Week, and a cook's initiation into the gorgeous world of mushrooms. For picture books, we have Dream Animals, A Bedtime Journey, The Bear's Song, The Tortoise and the Hare, and Books for Your Soul. This is a book for you to buy for yourself and share with others. Oh, and All the Odes by Pablo Neruda. We hope you will keep these book suggestions in mind as you purchase gifts for the holidays. We want to thank you for sharing an hour with us on KRCBFM's Word by Word. Our studio engineer is Mark Fuller. Our program director is Robin Pressman. Our theme music is by Bill Conti, and I am your host, Gil Manser. We invite you to tune in to Word by Word next year at 4 o'clock Sunday afternoon, January 5th, for when our guests will be Joe Henry and David Henry talking about their biography, Furious Cool, Richard Pryor and the World That Made Him. Until then, everyone at North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM, wishes you, our incredibly marvelous listening audience, the merriest holiday season. <laughs>